as you're finding your seats, you can open up your Bible to Psalm 18. Psalm 18, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardbound one somewhere around you. Uh, the passage will also be on the screen. You can find th- this morning's passage on page 454, 455. And it is, all right, so we are well into summer, and it is good just to have a little bit of a different rhythm and be able to enjoy some rest. So uh, it's great to see you all this morning. And I want to begin uh, with an article entitled, How to Grow Your Faith Online. So this uh, is a satire uh, from the Babylon Bee. So we have any Babylon Bee fans in the audience. If you're not familiar with the Babylon Bee, it is uh, the Christian version of The Onion. So it is totally satire and it is a gift to help us to poke fun at ourselves um, as evangelical Christians. And so this, uh, this article begins like this. If a man reads his Bible but fails to post pictures of it on the internet, did it really happen? And that's a Chinese proverb from around 2500 B.C. Um, to begin to revitalize your prayer life, you need to learn the biblical practice of posting pictures of yourself during your quiet time with Jesus to every social media channel available. A recent study found a strong correlation between those publishing pictures of one's personal devotions and a vibrant spiritual life. Um, those who posted several dozen pictures per devotional time were found to be 429 times more holy than those who rarely or never pick, posted pictures of themselves next to an open Bible. And so if you are a beginner all right, and you don't know how to do this, we're going to begin with the acronym CHAF. And this is going to help you to be more spiritual online. C stands for coffee. Make sure you get a good, tasty cup of joe in your picture. True Christians study the Word of God with a mug of artisan, fair trade, non-GMO, gluten-free, cage-free, non-alcoholic coffee. Taking the picture while you're at a coffee shop gives you bonus points, letting the whole world know that you're a Jesus freak. Bonus points, baby. Hashtags. Now, this is the most important thing if you want to be able to grow spiritually online. Hashtag that sucker for maximum reach. We recommend hashtags like hashtag blessed, hashtag amen, hashtag holy, hashtag I am better than you, hashtag look everyone I'm reading my Bible to ensure your personal time of communion with God and his word goes viral. F is for filter. A plain, no, actually I skipped the A. A, don't forget that you are doing this for an audience of one million. Share a picture with all your social networks, not just one. And if you don't get a boatload of engagement and attention the first time, don't be afraid to repeat it throughout the day. You could even tag some big-name Christian celebrities and pray to the Lord above that one of them retweets it for maximum exposure. Best-case scenario, your artsy picture of your communion with the Lord Most High gets spotted by Ellen, and you get to appear on a daytime talk show. F, filter, a plain Jane filter. A plain Jane picture of an open Bible will never get anyone on the express lane to heaven. You need to use filters to make the image appear deep and spiritual. Apply an authentic vintage look and you can be sure to get a like from Jesus himself. (laughs) F is for fat. As in the size of your Bible, make sure to get the gold embossed title on the spine in the picture so that everyone knows that you read the MacArthur Study Bible regularly, whether your Bible... Whether your Bible before the shot, too, give it a worn, distressed look. 
Posting pictures of yourself in deep fellowship with the Lord is just one way to grow your faith online. So that is totally tongue-in-cheek, and it helps us um, to poke fun at ourselves and just the, the reality. Um, but I think what it's getting at is just this reality that most of us, I think, in the United States of America, we think that that growth happens almost in these serene mountaintop kind of experiences where we are alone with God and our cup of coffee and he downloads some information to us. Now, certainly there is value in reading and engaging with God's word. We want to do that. We celebrate that. But as you read the story and the arc of God's people, the deepest and the most profound growth happens in the pain points of life, right? They don't happen on the mountaintop. They happen in the valley where God becomes real and um, he proves that all of his promises for his people are true. And so what we're going to look at this morning as we continue to look at the story of David is David in the wilderness. We're going to look at a period of time when David was on the run from King Saul because King Saul saw David as a political threat and he was seeking to put him to death. And we're going to cover the events from 1 Samuel chapter 21 to 1 Samuel chapter 26, but we're going to do it through the lens of Psalm 18, which is his later reflection on all that God did to meet him in that wilderness season. And so if you have your Bibles open to Psalm 18, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. If you have your Bibles open, would you, and you're able, would you stand with me? I'm going to read just some isolated verses from the psalm, not the whole psalm. Psalm 18, verse 1. Actually, I'm going to read the introduction because it gives us the background. To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, he said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord to my God for whom I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. Verse 16. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me. For they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. For you save a humble people. Verse 27. But the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. 
the Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Father, just reading that strengthens my soul. You are a refuge for your people. I pray that today that this wouldn't be just a mere announcing of your word, but it would be an invitation that we take you up on, that we would hide in you, that we would find strength in you, that we would see you proved faithful in the real circumstances that we all find ourselves in. I pray um, to do that you would help us by sending your Spirit to help us to understand your Word. I pray that you would send your Spirit to help me to proclaim this Word to these people that I love. I pray that you would send your Spirit to perform this Word so that we could live it out for your good and so that many people would know and put their trust in the Lord. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So Psalm 18 and 1 Samuel 21 through 26 is a picture of David in the wilderness. Now, when I think about the wilderness, I most naturally think of where Bambi lives, you know? So, like, we've got some trees and some brooks and some, you know, maybe some gentle rolling hills. But the wilderness in southern Israel or in Judah is this barren place. It is dry. It is arid. Um, It's hilly and rocky, and that's part of the reason that David actually chose it, because it's a good place to hide. Like if you're on the run, there's lots of places, caves that you could duck into. And so um, this was not just a two-week camping stint with the boys. This was a period that most scholars believe that was eight years of David's life. So eight years living inside of a cave, right, Eight years of sleepless nights. Eight years of looking over your shoulder because someone is looking to end your life. And not just someone, right? The most powerful person in your country is looking to hunt you down. And it's in this period um, that we can learn some lessons about the things that we go through. We can learn something about the faithfulness of God. We can learn what it means to see God meet us in places that seem impossible to us. Um, And what we're going to see is that God's presence was the reality that kept David in this season. It wasn't just abstract truth about God, which is essential, but it was drawing near to him and hiding in him and finding refuge in him that brought him comfort and joy. And the, and the truth is that the wilderness is not just about physical geography. What most of us know by experience is the wilderness is also a spiritual reality. Which brings me to my first point. The wilderness is where the promises of God are tested. The wilderness is where the promises of God are are tested. So we've mentioned before in this series that there was 15 years between the time that David was anointed as king and when he would be appointed as king. 
Seven years David spent as a shepherd and laboring in Saul's army. Eight years he spends on the run from Saul. And I'm sure during this eight-year period, it seemed to David that the promises of God were a distant memory, right? I mean, it must have seemed like a long time ago when he was a teenage boy that the prophet Samuel came in and said, hey, you're going to be king, right? I'm sure he thought, man, he really missed it on that one, right? I mean, the promises of God, um, I'm sure, seemed like a distant memory. But the wilderness for us is where the promises of God are tested, And wilderness seasons affect us all. The wilderness is where the season seems to be more defined by God's absence than His nearness. The wilderness is where resources are scarce. Where you don't know where provision is going to come from, right? And wilderness seasons affect us all. I mean, it could be a period of unexpected, extended illness that disorients you to all of life. It could be, for you, it could be a loved one that has either not come to faith in the Lord or has walked away from the Lord. And it really is causing you to ask questions about the faithfulness and the goodness of God. The wilderness simply could be an area that you are facing that you have prayed for and you have fasted towards and you have asked God to help you and it continues to plague you with doubt. It could be a season of intense financial pressure where you don't know how God is going to meet you. All of these are places where the promises of God seem distant. The wilderness is where we ask questions in a holy way, like, where are you? How long, O oh Lord? Right? <laughs> Will you deliver me? Will the dust praise you? Right? I mean, we begin to ask questions of the Lord. It's where the circumstances of our lives don't seem to match what we know about the character and the nature of God. That's the wilderness. And the wilderness, either you're there right now or um, we are preparing to be in the wilderness. So we need to understand how God works and why it's there. But it's also where the promises of God become very precious and very real. There are lessons that we can only learn in the wilderness that we will not learn any other way. And when you have the opportunity to sit with someone that's walked through the wilderness... I suggest that you pay attention. Now, I didn't ask her if I could do this, but a couple of months ago, I got to sit with Caroline Sutherland on the front row, and she just wanted to share her story with me. And it was this beautiful, just telling of her own story, both highs and lows. And I said, could you just tell me some more? Because there were all these lessons that she had learned in a lifetime of walking with the Lord. So there's lessons that God wants to teach us as we walk through the wilderness that we won't learn in any other way. Now, I recently began to watch the show Survivor Man on Amazon Prime. So anybody, any Survivor Man, you know that show? All right. I mean, at least I'll I'll explain it to you. Um, I start lots of shows and I like never finish them. But 
Like, I was compelled by episode one, episode one of Survivor Man. This guy is basically dropped off in the Arctic Circle to see if he can survive. Um, He has the scarcest of supplies. He has three matches, a little bit of seal blubber, um, and he's, like, basically in his, like, Eskimo outfit. And he's supposed to survive, right? And and what happens is he's supposed to be out there for a week, and um, (laughs) it's, it's comical because it's, sunlight that's for 24 hours he can't really sleep and he has seal blubber like as fuel if he wants to start a fire but that also makes him like polar bear bait and so um there are like wild polar bears that are like after him and and i just as i was going through this passage this week i was thinking like like the whole point of the show is just to see if he can grit it out and make it right i mean just to to see if he can endure it right but i think sometimes like when we go through the wilderness we think that's what God's trying to do. Like, hey, can they make it? Like, can they just grit their teeth and bear it? But what we're going to learn is that there is an experience and a nearness of God that's more than just gritting it and bearing it. It is where the wilderness is where every word and every promise from God becomes true. Right? Everything that he has spoken, everything that he has promised becomes real and becomes precious to us. So it's not about just learning to grit it out. It's during this eight-year period that David writes seven of the most beautiful soul-feeding psalms that he wrote. One like Psalm 34 that says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, and that those that fear him lack no good thing. Right? I mean, he was able to say that because God was becoming increasingly real. It's where every word of God, Psalm 1830, proves to be true. The truth is, as we learn from David's story, that he wants to give us a song in the midst of the wilderness, right? That worship is the way forward when you don't know the way forward. He wants to teach us in those moments that he is steadfast, that he is faithful, that he is true and he wants to give us a song because really there are only two responses when we're in the wilderness. We're either moving towards God and his nearness and his kindness or we're moving further away. And he wants to pull us close. The wilderness is where he affirms to us that we belong to him. So God wants to continue to encourage us if you're there this morning. Worship is the way forward. And listen, this is what a world needs to see. They don't need to see a a group of people that have it all together, that use an Instagram filter for their quiet times. What they need to know is that God is a steadfast rock, that he is a refuge, that he will hold you, that he will carry you in the wilderness, right? That he's enough for um, the family that's dealing with addiction, that he's enough for people um, that seem to have no hope, that he's enough for broken and busted marriages. That's what the wilderness is about. So we have an opportunity when we sing songs in the wilderness to show the steadfast faithfulness of the Lord, right? So what we're going through is not always just about us, but it's about what God wants to do in us, and it is what he wants to do through us. This brings me to my second point. The wilderness is where God's provision and his protection become our only hiding place. The wilderness is where God's provision 
and his protection become our only hiding place. Chapters 21 through 26 of 1 Samuel are full of God's provision for David. So chapter 21, David has a a small band of followers that are going with him, and they are starving, right? They're in the middle of the wilderness. There is no food. They come across um, the priests of Nob. So I don't know. That's not like a place that you want to just put on your resume. (laughs) Like, I'm looking for a job. Where are you from? I'm from Nob, all right? So the priests of Nob, like, they don't have any food either because they're in the middle of, like, some wilderness area. The only food that they have is the bread that is supposed to be used in temple worship. And so um, they get together and they make the decision, hey, it's better to feed people that are hungry than just try to keep some arbitrary rules. So they feed David. And um, it's in that season where he writes Psalm 63. It's one of my favorites. And I think what we can learn from that is that sometimes What we think we need is not what we actually need. A lot of times we think we need just deliverance from our circumstances. And and God is faithful to meet us over and over and deliver us. But we have a greater need. In the midst of the wilderness, he awakens something deeper inside of us. It's kind of like, I'm no scientist by any means. But they say, like, if you go into a, a dark room, right, and you can't see anything and it's pitch black that your body compensates and your sense of hearing goes up. Well, that's what happens in the wilderness, right? David is hungry, but he becomes aware of a deeper hunger. So I want you to read Psalm 63 through that lens. Let's just read a little bit of it together. So he doesn't have enough food. This is what he says. Oh, Lord, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts. For you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and a weary land where there is no water. That's not just metaphor. For I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Are you picking up on the songs that you sing in the wilderness? My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And so what we can learn is that in the midst of the wilderness, God awakens our ultimate desire, which he meets wonderfully in himself, right? He is pleased to deliver us, but he also gives us himself. And David's lesson for us is that God is more than enough to satisfy us in the burned out and the scorched places that we walk, right? That he's enough to feed our souls. And so what happens Right After the priests of Nob feed David, there's a bad guy there named Doeg the Edomite. So if you come across a guy named Doeg, um, you probably want to walk the other way. Um, he's a spy for King Saul. Basically, Saul goes, um, just like Anakin Skywalker in the Jedi Temple, like Revenge of the Sith. He kills all the priests, 85 of them, wipes them out. Yeah. So, but in the midst of that, God keeps David safe. And then after that, like David pretty much hightails it out of there and he takes refuge in the cave of Adullam. And this is, 
This is one of my favorite pictures in all of Scripture. It should be on the screen for you. 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. It says, David departed from there, and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And listen who flocked to him. And everyone who was in distress... And everyone who was in debt, all the Dave Ramsey fans said, Amen. And everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. And so this is an Old Testament picture of what the church is supposed to be, right? It's not for people that have it all together. David became a magnet because of the sustaining grace of God in his life. And everybody that, was in distress, everybody that was in distress, everybody that was in debt, right? People that didn't fit anywhere else in any other walk of life, they flocked to David because they saw God's hand at work. And, and we'll continue to trace out this story in a couple of weeks. I want you to see just the evolution that, that God does in the life of these 400 people and how they become a gift to David and how they become a gift to the nation of Israel. And that's what it's supposed to be, right? The church is not about people that have it all together. It's about people meeting the sustaining grace of God, right? And so that's what happens for David. That's, I mean, it's supposed to be a haven for the broken and the outcast. That's what the cave of Adullam is. That's what our gospel communities are meant to be, a place where people can find refuge. Now remember, there was a season, I think it was 2015. Jen and I, uh, I think accurately you could paint a picture of us being in a wilderness season. right? So parenting was difficult. Pastoral ministry was difficult. And I remember praying over and over, I don't know which way to go. Like, I don't know what the next step is. I don't know how to respond. And I just, we were desperate for just to hear from the Lord. And so we went to a conference that really didn't have anything to do with anything we were doing. And uh, we just went and we were there as a couple kind of observing. And I remember during that conference, I mean, there were some wonderful things that were spoken to us about the gospel and we clung to those things. But then I also remember... Um, the highlight of the trip and the thing that I think I'll always remember is we met a couple um, in the Publix grocery store that just, and, and so this is, this is a sidebar. So if you ever go to a conference, right, don't wear your name tag like to the grocery store. It's just like a classic rookie mistake, but I did it. And so this guy, he says, hey, I want to invite you guys to a party that we're having at our condo, right? So we were actually in Fort Lauderdale, which is not a bad place to go and seek the Lord in the midst of the wilderness. Um, but anyway, so we're in Fort Lauderdale in the middle of a Publix, and this guy invites us, um, and he said, hey, I just want to invite you. We've got this place. It's called Misfit Manor. And... <laughs> At first, I was like, bro, you don't understand. Like, I ruled in high school. Like, I don't know why you're inviting me to Misfit. Like, I don't know why you're inviting me to Misfit Manor, you know? And then, but at the same time, he began to tell me, he's like, there is a group of us that have gotten together because we have found just our desperate need for grace. And we found each other from all over the country. And so we go to this party. And just get to overhear conversations and 
Listen, this, this was a group of people that felt like they didn't fit anywhere else in the world. This was a group of people that had been burned by the church and hurt by the church, people that were suffering depression and watched their children walk away. And basically they were fed the line like, hey, if you just believed God more or if you just prayed more or you just trusted him more, all of this stuff would go away. And I remember in that just seeing the way that they came together and they became a refuge for each other. And that's, that's the ultimate just reality of how God works. One of the ways that God meets his people in the midst of the wilderness is because there's other people that are trying to find their way. And that's what the church is supposed to be, right? We don't just suffer in the wilderness in isolation. We come together, right? And then it's like people that don't fit anywhere else fit together, and that's the church. And so... The other night, it's precious, in my own gospel community, wonderfully led by Brad and Caroline Parsons. And just the stories that were shared were this, just this deep well of these people have become precious to me. And there's nothing that brings me more joy as a pastor than to, to hear that people are finding grace and finding community. So I just want to thank you guys just for the way that you have led and encouraged and it's just a wonderful expression of God's kindness. There's gospel communities are meant to be a place where people can find refuge in the Lord together. I'm sure this is this is where I don't have any external evidence to prove this, but I like to think that David wrote these words about the cave of Adullam. Psalm 16, verses 2 and 3. 1, 2, and 3. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. But as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. That's what the church is people that find refuge in God together and become precious to one another. I heard a phrase this week from uh, just uh, a pastor in the UK. His name is Pete Hughes. Uh, He's the brother of Tim Hughes. He's also the pastor of King's Cross in London. And he said, this is his vision for his church, and I can't say it any better, so I want to share it with you. He says, "The the church is supposed to be safe enough to heal, but dangerous enough to grow, right? So it's both of those things. Safe enough where people can come in our midst, be able to share where they are, and heal up, right, from all of their wounds, from being in the wilderness. But also, you're going to watch as these people in the cave of Adullam, they become a small army for David, also is meant to be dangerous enough to grow, right? I mean, if, if all we ever do is come here and be comforted and healed in our own wounds, then we're missing out, right? We're supposed to take steps of faith and risk, and I'm excited uh, about some of those coming up for us. Not only did um, David experience God's provision, but he also experienced his protection. Two different times in 1 Samuel chapter 24 and 1 Samuel chapter 26, David finds himself, Saul's basically delivered into his hands. 1 Samuel chapter 24 is rather comical. You can read it on your own. David is hiding out in a cave and Saul comes in to use the bathroom. 
right? <laughs> so um, all of David's guys are like, I don't know how this works in a cave because I was just in a cave in Silver Dollar City and you can hear everything. But like, this guy's going to the bathroom right here and David's guys are like, hey, you can get him. This is your moment. And he's like, hey, I'm not going to touch this guy because he's the Lord's anointed. If God wants to take him out, then he can take him out. So basically lets him go. Just cuts off a little piece of his robe just to, to prove to Saul that he really is trying to be on his side. Then in chapter 26, there's an army of 3,000 people that are just basically camping in this wilderness area. And miraculously, if you've ever been around the army, this doesn't happen. But every single person is asleep. Saul's spear is at the, you know, just planted in the ground by his head. David has another opportunity just to take him out. And he chooses in that moment just to trust the Lord to continue to work. But, I mean, so it's all throughout this wilderness area. But I want you to allow, like, so I'm sure to, to get past an army of 3,000 people, he had to duck and hide behind these rocks and find refuge in these caves. I want that to inform Psalm 18. So I want to read a few verses. Verses 1 and 2. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. God's protection of him and his character shaped David's view of God. He says, you are my rock. You are my refuge. You are my deliverer. And so the invitation, not only did David pen these words, but God penned these words through David to say to every person in this room this morning that you are safe here, that you can hide in him, that you can find refuge and strength here, that he's big enough to shield you from all of your enemies, that he's big enough to deliver you from whatever you're facing, that he is a safe place. And listen, as the people of God, it, it just has to become our regular practice, not to do this life in our own strength, but to to run and to hide in him, right? That brings him glory and it also brings us strength. So God is saying, you can run to me here when you feel afraid. You can hide in me when you feel lost. I will protect you and keep you. And this is, this verse floors me and it's the right perspective. Psalm 18 verse 19 says this, He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me. Why? Because he delighted in me. Right? The first thing to happen in the midst of wilderness seasons is to believe that the hand of the Lord is against you. And God says, I deliver you because I delight in you. And that only happens because of the good news of Jesus Christ, which brings me to my final point. Our champion endures the wilderness both with us and for us, right? David, right, like I said before, I mean, he has his strengths, he has his weaknesses. David is a a picture that points us forward to the ultimate Savior who is our champion, Jesus who perfectly endured the wilderness on our behalf, right? So the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew and the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, there's this scene where Jesus is tempted 40 days and 40 nights and Satan is basically doing warfare, trying to get him to abandon his mission. Why does he do that? 
right? Why does he endure that temptation? Because he does it because that's how he saves us, right? I mean, he succeeds everywhere that we fail, right? Where we're tempted to trust in ourselves, he prays and he trusts the Lord. Where we're trusted, I mean, where we're tempted to complain, right? I mean, He's worshiping his father and trusting him for provision. He's doing all of that because, listen, the first thing that happens when I'm in the midst of the wilderness season is I begin to become really grumpy like, and I begin to complain. But this is, this is what God does for us. He sends us a champion that endures the wilderness on our behalf. So regardless of how well you have endured your wilderness season, there is one who has endured it on your behalf. And his name is Jesus Christ. Not only is he with us, but he is for us in in the midst of this. Listen to Hebrews chapter 2. It says it like this. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons, and you can insert daughters there, to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies, and that's him, and those who are sanctified all have one source, and that's God. And that is why he's not ashamed to call them brothers. Verse 17, therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation or to remove wrath for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So in the midst of the wilderness, we have a champion. There is a way of escape. It is Jesus Christ who endured the cross. The only thing that he has ever abandoned, he will never abandon his people. The only thing that he's ever abandoned is the grave, right? He has endured the wilderness. He has endured the cross. God has raised him from the dead to give us this great hope that in the midst of all that we're walking through, that he is a way of escape, that he is enough, that he will strengthen us and that he will keep us. Jesus is our champion, right? Our hope is not that we're going to endure the wilderness perfectly or we're going to learn every lesson perfectly from the wilderness, but that we have a champion from heaven and Jesus is his name. He endured the wilderness for us. And because he has been raised from the dead, he sends his spirit to comfort his people, to guide his people, to order their steps, so that every step of the way, we know that he'll never leave us or forsake us. That's the good news if you are in the midst of the wilderness, is that we have a Savior and we have a champion. So let's celebrate him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being our champion. Thank you for being the one that endured the wilderness for us. Thank you that for those that are in the wilderness now, that you are with us. I pray that right now you would prove yourself true. I pray that right now you would prove yourself faithful by beginning to comfort your people with your presence, to make your promises even more real. I pray for tangible relief in the midst of wilderness seasons for those that are walking. And I pray for a a steadfast confidence that you are holding on to them in the midst of everything they're walking through. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to continue.